So today's Palm Sunday, uh, and I've got a picture for you just to keep you awake. And I've got three points this morning. Can we have the first slide? Yes. I've got three points for you. Jesus the King is what we're thinking about. Number one, Jesus came as King, and we celebrate that today on Palm Sunday. Number two, the King is coming again. And number three, Jesus the King needs you. We've just read this remarkable story from Luke's Gospel. It's the beginning of Holy Week. It's interesting that up until this time, only a few uh, instances in the life of Jesus are, are found in all four Gospels. But now that we start Holy Week, uh, they occur in all the four. And this is the critical beginning of Holy Week. Let's just describe it for a moment. Jesus is surrounded by a small party of his faithful followers, the disciples, and they're climbing up from this little village called Bethany. And they're on their way to Jerusalem. And it's a long climb. And then suddenly they reach the top where you got, get this magnificent view of the whole of the city of Jerusalem. It's the top of the Mount of Olives. And you look down the valley to Jerusalem. And when this party gets to the top with the view, suddenly all changes. Loads of people appear from all over the place. And our key verse, which you can find, uh, verse 38 today, they shout, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Mark, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. And in John, blessed is the king of Israel. So Jesus is making this, what's called as a subheading in our Bibles, a triumphal entry into Jerusalem as a king. One of the things I was taught in Sunday school is that Moses in the Old Testament had a motorbike. I don't know whether you knew that. Uh, I was taught that the roar of Moses' triumph could be heard across the land. It's, um, it's a victory, isn't it? It's, it's a conquest. It's a coming home after a fantastic result. Some people have just celebrated 40 years. I don't know whether you can remember that, the end of the Falklands War. You remember those pictures of the, the boats, the, uh, the Navy coming back with all the bunting and the crowds and the celebration. And then occasionally England wins something, don't they? World Cup or something. And we have a celebration. They hold the cup high, they're on the bus, they're coming in and the crowds are shouting and exclaiming. There's a big celebration. The key point today is that Jesus is finally accepting that he wishes to be recognized as a king. 
Up until this point, he'd kept a pretty low profile. He'd actually been offered a crown before. I don't know whether you remember, but uh, in Lent, we were thinking of the devil who tempted Jesus and said, I'll give you a crown if you bow down and worship me. And the people had often wanted to crown Jesus when he performed amazing miracles. But it wasn't the right time for Jesus. It wasn't in his plan. But now on Palm Sunday, it is. There's a change. Uh, Could we just have the next picture, please? Up until this time, Jesus had been wanting not to have a large public profile. He'd retired into the wilderness. He'd often gone away, hadn't he, to pray on his own. And at one point, he even told his disciples, didn't he, not to tell anybody that he was Jesus the Christ. But yes, it's all changed. And the wonderful thing is that it fulfills what the prophets had said hundreds of years before. In Zechariah, one of the minor prophets, there are these wonderful verses that foretold this very day. Rejoice greatly, it says. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, but lowly, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey, I'm going to take away the chariots. I'm going to take away the war horses. I'm going to break the battle bow because Jesus will proclaim peace, peace to the nations. And his rule will extend from sea to sea to the ends of the earth. I wonder what you think of uh, when we talk about kings and queens for that matter. Jesus doesn't really fit the normal pattern, does he, when he was on earth? What do we think of? Well, they have power. They have authority, don't they? You think of our queen, and I guess at some stage we're going to have a King Charles, and then we'll have a King William. Jesus gave all that up, didn't he, when he came to earth? And now he shows humility and rides on a donkey. Kings have a lot of money, don't they? Uh, We've had illustrations of that uh, quite recently. What about Jesus? Well, he didn't have anything, did he? It's this wonderful passage uh, in Philippians where Jesus makes himself nothing when he came to earth. Didn't have anywhere to lay his head, he said. He borrows the donkey. He borrows the boy's lunch to feed the 5,000. He borrows a boat so that he can preach. And he's going to borrow an upper room for the Last Supper. What else do kings do? Well, they sort of demand, don't they, our allegiance. We're expected, aren't we, to bow or to curtsy or whatever. Not so Jesus, he was exactly the opposite, wasn't it? He he came to serve, 
He even washed the disciples' feet. That must be the exact opposite of, of bowing. He, there is Jesus displaying extraordinary humility and washing his disciples' feet. So none of the things that we think about apply to Jesus when he was on earth. But today he's declaring that he is a king. He has picked this day. He knows what's going to happen. He's not trying to get the crowd worked up to praise him. This is part of his extraordinary plan. He knows that by entering to Jerusalem, this is going to seal his doom. It's somehow a catalyst for the religious leaders who will take over and then take his life. So here we have Jesus, not trailing behind all the victors he's, uh, he's gained in his war. No, a meek and lowly Jesus riding on a donkey. And his crown in a few days is going to be a crown of thorns. What about all the people? The people are descending on Jerusalem because of Passover. They're coming from everywhere. Let's just go back to that same picture, could we? And when Jesus got to the top of the hill, the, cloud, the crowds are streaming out of the city. So he has people behind him, he has people in front and all around him. It's quite interesting, when you look at some pictures of Palm Sunday, I found this one, which shows a few more people. But several of them just show a very small party and Jesus just about to go through the gate. Well, I think they've got it wrong. There were hundreds of thousands, some commentators reckon, there could have been over a million. Matthew talks about a large crowd. John, a great crowd. And if you read further in John, the Pharisees get very worried and actually say, help the whole world has gone after him. Who are these people? Well, they're an extraordinary mix, aren't they? They're the believers, the followers, the people who aren't sure, the agnostics, the religious who are looking for a way of getting rid of Jesus, the people Jesus has touched and healed. They've followed him, the people who've come back to life, even perhaps Zacchaeus, who earlier in Luke 19 has come to know Jesus. And the disciples, gosh, they must have been confused. Suddenly it's all changed from, from just a few days ago. And what are these people carrying? Well, they're not carrying swords, they're carrying palm branches. Oh, here's mine. I guess you left your large ones outside, but anyway, you've got something to take home for, or, or, or for you. What do they represent? Well, palms, yes, they grow in the desert where there isn't much water, they're strong. They're beautiful because they're always green. I read that sometimes they were placed on graves of people as a sign of eternal life. And prophetically, then, as people wave these palms, they're signifying it that Jesus is the bringer of eternal life to those wandering even in the desert. 
and they lay their cloaks. That's another prophetic thing from the Old Testament where that was done occasionally. And what are they saying and singing? Well, they're singing and saying from Psalm 118. And this was said at Passover and is known as the Salvation Psalm. Let me read you a few verses. Blessed is he who comes in the name of, of the Lord. With bows in hand, this is the Psalms, join in the festal procession. You are my God, I will praise you. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And I think it's clear that this was done in the form of a response. You know, the priest would say something, then all the people would follow it. Uh, so people behind would be saying, yes, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. I wonder whether they really understood what they were saying on this occasion. Some of them were still hoping that Jesus was going to overthrow this uh, Roman government and create a kingdom on earth. But no, that was not to be. They were a fickle lot, this crowd, weren't they? Like us, one moment they're praising and then a few days later they're saying, crucify him. We're capable, aren't we, of one minute praising like on a Sunday morning and we sing worship and then tomorrow it's a bit different, isn't it? Sometimes we can deny Jesus and our faith. The religious people were still after his life. For, for, for them, Jerusalem is a sacred place. It's the sort of touch point between heaven and earth. And Jesus is coming in at the east gate of all places. And, the, and their ears are ringing with the sound of the crowds praising. And they say, Jesus, for heaven's sake, tell these people to shut up. And what does Jesus say? Well, we read in verse 39, if the people weren't praising, even the stones would cry out. Creation itself would be forced to sing. Satan had reminded Jesus back again in the desert, hadn't he, that God could turn stones into bread. And that happened in the Old Testament again. So here we have an extraordinary point at the beginning of Holy Week. It is a monumental point in the life and death of Jesus. Now, just a few points before we move on about the donkey. I don't know, would it have been a bit embarrassing to see Jesus on a donkey? He could have walked, couldn't he? Why do you think he chose a donkey to ride into town? Well, he's the king of peace, we read. He's come to save. Donkeys are beasts of burden and of service. How did Jesus know that there was a colt tied up in this village? Well, Jesus knows everything. The disciples didn't argue. And the extraordinary thing is that the owner of the donkey doesn't argue. He could have called the authorities to say, gosh, these people are trying to steal my donkey. No, Jesus has power at this point. And if you read part of the Old Testament, yes, even a donkey spoke in the Old Testament. 
And how was it that Jesus was able to ride this donkey that had never been properly broken in? Jesus has power over creation as well. Somehow in the DNA of that donkey, perhaps it knew that this was the master and the Lord of all, the, the Lord of creation. You need to think, we need to think about that. Jesus has all these details worked out. There are no surprises in this plan. It's, it's a staggering display of the omniscience, the all-knowing and the omnipotence, the all-powerful God and his son, the Lord Jesus. Right, now my second point, and I'm pushing on, my second point is Jesus is coming again. Jesus will return and make another triumphal entry. The king is coming. King Jesus will reign. You see, Jesus goes into Holy Week and into the city and he continues to teach, to tell parables. And he says a lot in those last few days. Uh, there's no campaign speech about his victory. No, he's foretelling the future. And a couple of chapters later on, he talks about the signs of the end of the age. He tells it somehow like it seems to be at the moment, do you think? Domestic breakdown, economic catastrophe, wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes, famines, desolation, pestilence, etc. And there's an amazing verse uh, that says that the people would become apprehensive of what is coming on the world. I know, perhaps I'm too old, but I wonder whether occasionally, like you, you wonder what is really happening to our world. And we're witnessing now with the horrors, the utter horror that people are capable of doing to each other as dictators lord it over uh, each other. But this picture, just back to the picture, this is the hope of believers in Jesus who have made Jesus their king. Because Jesus says in Luke 21, a few verses later, that he will return in a cloud with, with great glory and power. And this is going to fulfill another prophecy later in the Bible. In Revelation, a vision that uh, the Apostle John has, we read this in chapter 19. I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse, not a donkey this time, Jesus on a white horse. And the one sitting on it is faithful and in righteousness he judges. From his mouth comes a sword with which to judge and strike down nations, and he will rule. And on his robe he has a name written, King of Kings. This is our hope as Christians and believers in the Lord Jesus, is it not? 
Jesus talks about the fig tree. It's wonderful, isn't it, to see all the blossom appearing on our trees as we welcome spring. And Jesus said, I know it happens every year, but uh, we need to think about this. When you see these things happening, your redemption is coming. The kingdom of God is near. We've had this great few weeks, haven't we, since uh, Jan or Feb, about the kingdom of heaven. And we've learned that some of it has already happened and we can become part of that kingdom. But yes, some is yet to happen. Jesus will come again. And my last point, please. Number three. <clears throat> this is even before my time, I think. Your king and country needs you. Yes, Jesus needs you. I love that phrase about the donkey, yes. What did Jesus say and what do the disciples say to the owner? The Lord needs it. And dare I say that uh, this is Jesus' words to us, that the King, the Lord Jesus, needs us to be part of this kingdom. And the amazing thing is that just before, again, this happens earlier in Luke 19, if you read it, Jesus has told an extraordinary parable. And it's actually about himself. It's not the one about the talents. This is a different one. It's about the ten servants who each get ten pounds. And the story goes like this that he's going to a different country. He's not going where they thought he should go. He's going to a different country to be crowned king, but he will return. And when he returns, he'll want to know what the servants have done with the 10 pounds. And this is a message, I believe, of Jesus returning as king and asking us, what we have done with what he has given us with our lives. And in this parable, there are these words of Jesus. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But for the one who has nothing and has wasted it all, even that incredibly small amount is going to be taken away. And those enemies of mine, this is Jesus, who didn't want me to be king, bring them here. I will judge and kill them. This, friends, is a picture of the final judgment when Jesus returns as king. And he will want to know what we have done with our pounds, with our lives, what we've believed. He is now, when he returns, no longer a humble servant on a donkey. He is king of kings and lord and lords and judge over all the earth. And he says that those who do nothing and reject him will lose everything. And Jesus wants us to be part of his kingdom. He needs you. He wants us to be involved in that kingdom, in its advance to invest all that we have 
our time and our money in his kingdom. And on his way to Jerusalem, we read in another gospel that Jesus was so anxious and distressed that people had rejected him. Jerusalem, he cried, I longed that you would come to me and be part of my kingdom. I longed to gather your children together, but you were not willing. This is the tragedy that sometimes people are not willing. Dear friends, your king is coming. He is riding towards us even today and he wants to know whether or not he is your king, your sovereign. I don't know where you're at and how you're viewing Easter, whether it's just another commercial type Christmas or whether you're going to be part celebrating both the death and then the wonder of Jesus' resurrection next Sunday. But your king is coming, whether you like it or not, whether you believe or not. Let's just pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that yours is the kingdom and that you, Lord Jesus, are King of kings. Help us to bow before you today as our King and Saviour. Amen.